The Gun Dog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. And if you want to get the most of your dog in your training sessions, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. Yukonuba's new premium performance line is built with the nutrients that dogs need to help unleash their maximum potential. That starts with providing energy that matches their efforts, supporting optimal nutrient delivery, and supporting post-exercise recovery. Check out the new Yukonuba premium performance lineup and find your dog's fuel at yukonubasportingdog.com. A true work of art does not simply appear out of thin air. It begins as an idea in the mind of an artist who then gives it physical shape and form using his innate skill and imagination. If the end product is to be genuine, the process of creation needs to remain uninterrupted from start to finish. This principle has been the driving force in the making of AYA guns since 1915. An AYA gun embodies the very best knowledge and skill of generations of leading gunsmiths. And for this reason, it is considered throughout the world to be one of the finest examples of the combination of science and art, of reliability and elegance, which only the finest gun makers can produce. AYA makes double-barreled shotguns in both side-by-side and over-under versions in box-lock and side-lock versions, as well as double rifles, and all models share a common denominator, their exceptional quality. The ownership of an AYA shotgun makes one part of a special and exclusive community. Check out AYA now at AYA-FineGuns.com. Biomatrix ingredients make the difference. There's science behind the therapy. At Biomatrix, all of our products are developed by veterinarians and made from natural ingredients using science-based research-proven formulas for peak health and performance. Biomatrix supplements are dedicated to creating natural products with only scientifically proven ingredients. Our founders, Drs. Brian McNabb and Ali Pletner, utilize their scientific backgrounds and medical education and experience to provide you with a product you can trust. Specializing in equine lameness, Dr. McNabb has extensive veterinary experience with supplements and how they can be used to create the perfect balance of Eastern and Western medicine to promote healing. Dr. Pletner's education in biomedical engineering and doctorate in veterinary medicine laid the foundation for the product's clinical research and development. Using Biomatrix combined training and knowledge, Drs. McNabb and Pletner developed this effective supplement with no superfluous ingredients. Check out Biomatrix today at biomatrix-supplements.com and use my promo code GUNDOG10, that's G-U-N-D-O-G-1-0, at checkout for 10% off your purchase.
I also want to just do a quick thank you and shout out to my affiliates, Dakota283. Make sure you use my promo code TGDN10. Get 20% off your order at checkout. And also for Garmin, I just got my new 200i, so I'll talk about that a little later on in the episode. But thank you, Garmin, for everything that you've done and the technology that you guys are providing in the field. Um, along with Cable Gangs, Mr. Brennan Landry, I want to thank you as well, along with your son. And of course, I want to shout out my own kennel, Cheyenne Kennels, because I'm working with some of the best lines in the country right now. Um, I just got to build them up on my own, you know, just got to do my own little thing. But I got the pedigrees that I want to work with. And I'm excited to bring these dogs up to the forefront. Um, Project Upland and the Northwoods Collective, we got a film coming out. And I want to say a special thank you to everybody that had something to do with that film. Um, so check that out very, very soon. You can look on my Instagram for a little bit of a, a, a real teaser. Um, one of them Instagram reels. So check that out, guys. And here is the podcast with Miss Tracy Ross. Tracy Ross is a frequent contributor to Outside Magazine and the author of The Source of All Things, an acclaimed 2011 memoir about sexual abuse and survival. Tracy came down with another buddy of mine, Camille Cece, and they hung out with us for the weekend, um, hung out with me and Ashley and the, and the kiddos at the house and had a good time and conversation and, and a lot of laughs, a lot of com contemplation and you know, just a lot of thinking. Um, you know, this this there's a lot that Tracy has to offer and in insights. Um, being new to wing shooting and new to hunting, but really still being an outdoors woman, just you know, crossing over into another discipline. That's all. So Tracy had a lot of great insights. It sounds like she had a really good time hanging out with us down here, um, and we had one hell of a first introduction. So check out this episode guys stay tuned and and uh we'll see you uh see you down the road all right here you go go in the park i just drove there and thought that i would go in the park because <laughs> i needed it well i needed i just had a memorial for my brother and he's been dead for a year right and it's like that's kind of all i've been thinking about and all we've been doing and like so much energy going into it and it's like we just did it so yeah. i needed to get out of there and like not think about it for a little while. Absolutely. So I, I went to Joshua tree. It's three hours from Las Vegas. And what's awesome is that all you would love this because you're an artist yeah. all along the way. There's like the weirdest art. That's Just what like I was looking random, for. Yeah. Yeah. Random desert art that wow. you like, there's no explanation. There's no signs. There's nothing. It's just like some weird blow up. Like, yeah. That's Insane the best way to do it. Thing. You, and yeah, you just got to find it. it. I love it. I mean, it, I think we had this conversation similar to Joshua Tree. I wanted to go to uh, Texas to Marfa. I think we had this conversation. I don't know if we did, but Marfa sounds amazing. So in in the same vein as, as Joshua Tree, um, Marfa is it's just kind of out in the middle of nowhere, you know, desert landscape. Yeah. But uh, famous artist Donald Judd, mil uh, big time minimalist artist, was out there. And I mean, you've seen my work. You know, you come to the studio and stuff like that. It's it's polar opposite of minimalism. 
Yeah. I am so drawn to minimalism. I mean, like, because I use it in in, in bird dog stuff, you know, and, and it's its own art. So, I mean, you know, not to, to detract from Joshua Tree, but there are those places in the world that I just want to visit. I mean, and I'm so jealous that you got a chance to go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I kind of, like, didn't do a good job of, I, I should have stopped and taken all these pictures. But as I was driving, I was like, really, I'm just in this for the drive. Mm-hmm. I just want to drive for three hours in my mom's nice car and like, <laughs> listen to me, not and think about anything but my brother. So, but I'm with you. I'm curious about how, uh, how is bird dog training and using bird dogs in what you do minimalist? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a, a big thing about, you know, what it is that I have going on, I feel like, and and I talk to my buddy, uh, Joe Plody, about this all the time. He's a professional trainer out in Illinois. Well, there is, I've got this thing, and I had to learn this lesson, lesson from Ashley. When I first got in, I thought I had to have everything in the world to train a dog. You got yeah. you got to have bumpers. You got to have you know birds. You got to have dummies. This you got to have decoys. That you got to have it. And then I had my lab at the time. I didn't have pointers, but then I got my pointers, and I felt like right around that time, the time I got Vegas, I was start Vegas. I st- I was starting to like kind of start thinking about that. Like, wait a minute, it didn't take me all that much to get this dog trained my my lab, and yeah. You know, and I was like, okay, it didn't really take a lot of buying stuff. So then I go and I do the same thing with with, with Vegas. Doesn't really take a lot. Best thing that I ended up using was a, my pinch collar, that leather pinch collar I showed you. And um yep. and 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 my uh check cord, that long orange cord. So I was just like you know, I I was just kind of like wait a minute, like, why am I spending so much time and money? And every time I went on Instagram, every time I did this, it was like somebody was giving you, a, you know, the incentive to go buy something else. And, you know, you've, yeah. you've been to my studio slash podcast space. I mean, I have a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, for sure. I have a lot. And a lot of that stuff is the accumulation of things over the years lot of it very necessary but like the most necessary piece of equipment that i've purchased is my garmin collars you know what i mean like the most important piece of, of equipment that i have is my garmin collar well uh you know aside from an electric collar a pinch collar and a, a check cord what else do you need and right i the, don't know <laughs> it, nothing is the answer i mean other than birds and so i sat there and then, of course, you know, all my mentors, they old heads, they old schoolers. So they didn't have shit. Yeah. <laughs> like they didn't have all of this right. stuff that we had back in and have now, you know. And I started thinking about yeah. it and I've always been interested in Donald Judd, like his work ever. I don't know why. I'm, And I was like, well, this minimalism thing. And so I go and I start reading through some of his texts, reading through some of his writings from the past. And minimalism is just as much of an art form, obviously, as bird dogs is. And and being able to maximize your dog's potential with the least amount of things. I mean, you know, that barrel that I showed you out there, I'm not even using that no more. You know, to get my oh, dog. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, 
and somebody again, my buddy Joe Plody, he said something. He was talking to another, um, you know, uh, another big time uh, figure in the bird dog world. And he told me he was like, you know, it's something funny that we have all of these things and we have this and that. And we, you know, we've got all this stuff. But she was like, when would you ever have a barrel? Like your dog is never going to be standing on a barrel when it's pointing birds in a real life situation. Mm-hmm. And and, it, and everything that I've done and written, I've written a lot of training stuff. I've done a lot. But every time I've written something about training, the overall theme has always been simplifying. And I just and I didn't realize I was writing it yeah. until I started digesting. I was like, huh. So I've been intuitively trying to simplify my process anyway. Now I'm just a whole lot more cognizant of it. And I'm saving a hell of a lot more money doing it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's really cool. Well, I love simplicity in all things too. And when I've always romanticized bird dog hunting and hunting in general because of my grandparents Mm -hmm. in Idaho, growing up in Idaho and watching them train dogs and, you know, just being a part of their life. And as I remember it, all they had was a dog, a gun and like a bird wing on a Strength. That's what I use. Like, Wing on the that string. That's how I get my puppies going. Yeah. And so for me, I, I ran sled dogs, as you know, in Alaska. 20, uh, 20, and, let's um, be specific. 25 of them to be exact. <laughs> yes. And I actually trained 40 puppies for a sprint musher in Fairbanks. Are you serious? And I, I always remember, I remember feeling like, like I was in my 20s and I always felt like I didn't have, I wasn't a big enough person or a big enough personality to really like communicate with these dogs with 10 of them out on a, you know, out in a row and like really kind of make them do what I wanted them to do. What now? Um, me, can I stop you right there? Do you mind me stopping you right there? Yeah. Why didn't you feel yeah. like you like, what, what, where does that come from? Like, that's an interesting thought. You're not big enough of a personality. Um, Cause I yeah. feel like I'm too damn loud. <laughs> so <laughs> like what, you know, what, where did that come from? Like what makes you think that? Well, I mean, I grew up with two dogs, you know, and they were pets and my dad owned the dogs and he worked with the dogs and they were his. And so to go from that to working for a professional musher who raced dogs and suddenly be thrown into, you know, being the quote unquote trainer of these puppies, like. I didn't know what, I had no idea what I was doing. I just, he, he was like, here's your dog. You go out and you run around this loop either with a four wheeler and then later with a sled. And you know, you had very few commands and Mm -hmm. in a way I just had to like trust that the dogs through genetics and all the stuff that you work with, with your dog, we're going to know what to do. That is, I I was literally going to say, I was going to say that is exactly what we doing with bird dogs. Right. Yeah. It wasn't, so, it wasn't, yeah, that's what I love. That's why I'm excited about it. It wasn't so much me being like, you do this, you do that. It was like me kind of encouraging them to right. do what they were supposed to do and rewarding them for doing what they were supposed to do. So they were teaching me right, way more than I was like training them to do anything. So, <laughs> And I, I have so much I want to talk to you about. And I didn't give you an outline for this podcast because you and I seem to vibe real just fine. You know, um, yeah. 
we, we, we have neither one of us have a problem talking to each other. So mm-hmm. with sled dogs, I mean, well, first of all, what let, let's go back to your, 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 your father's dogs. What kind of dogs were they? What breed? Uh, he had a black lab and then we had like a, a mixed lab something, okay. but he definitely had like a purebred black lab that he loved. And she was the dog that I grew up with and he would take her out hunting, but it was really more my grandparents who had German short hairs and wire haired okay. pointers. Okay. So you had short Those hairs. Are like, gotcha. Yeah. And then, you know, this is like, they, they had had dogs for a long time and I didn't really run with other kids and we didn't run with other families who were into hunting. It was really about my grandparents. Really? So yeah. Oh, for sure. My dad like kind of hunted, but they were the ones that were into the training and getting the right dog and doing it. So let me ask you this. And, and, and I know you've done a lot of writing on like passing down traditions and, and like who's going to keep things, um, you know, going specifically, um, you've got a piece on, on outside online, women hunters and anglers may be the planet's best hope, right? Like you've written about basically extending these traditions and like, okay, who's going to keep this stuff next. Right. But let's go back to your upbringing and your parents. Do you think that there was a generational gap that was indicative in your life that also can be seen and the hunters and anglers of today's generation, do you think there was a gap there? Oh, that's kind of a complicated question because, you know, it has so much to do with what you're interested in as a kid, right? Like I grew up in Southern Idaho. I grew up in a very rural place and I was the only girl in my hunter's ed class and I was also like a cheerleader at school and I, you know, I did, I, I was like a very girly girl who at the time didn't know that I love the outdoors like I do now. And for me personally, that was the gap. Like I didn't know any girls. I had not one other friend whose dad was into hunting and who wanted to hunt. So I feel like for me personally, that's probably part of the reason it took me so long to get into it, but it was ingrained in my brain right. and heart is this beautiful thing that I wanted to be a part of. Right. Now with my own kids, you know, we live in, we live outside of Boulder, Colorado, and what everyone I know is into is outdoor sports. Right. They're like not hunting. They're into rafting and mountain biking and climbing and skiing. And so I do feel like there's this thing happening where, more people my age and more parents are kind of like getting bored of just sports and wanting to get into hunting. Okay. Like take it to the next step. Interesting. And my kids, I have a 20 year old and an 18 year old son and they're both like a million percent into learning to hunt with me. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but yeah, I, you I are. feel you personally, are. Yeah. yeah, that there's a cultural shift happening. Maybe not where you live and maybe not where, you know, in more rural parts of America, but in Shishi, Bougie, Boulder and Colorado, like I am seeing outdoor people trending toward hunting lately. And it's great. I'm going to throw you one. So interestingly enough, where I live at and living in Atlanta, 
usually that's the case. Usually, where you don't really mm-hmm. finalize, particularly in the black community, it, it, we're usually not that. But guess what? I got a call a couple of uh, <laughs> about a week ago, but I, I finally called the guy back because you know I'm terrible. I'm real late about stuff like that. You already know that. So I finally called the guy yeah. back because my yeah. my mentor outside of bird dogs, just life mentor. Um, he referred this guy to me and you know, my, my mentor's name is Juan. I, you know, Juan is, he'll usually just send people that have dog questions to me, just standard dog questions, whatever. No big deal. Usually it's like something obedience related. And so this guy leaves me a message on my phone and he's just like, Hey, you know, um, I was directing you from Juan. Um, I got some questions about my dog. And wanted to see if you can help me out. And that's kind of where he left it. And so, of okay. course, I was just like, well, shit, there's probably some obedience stuff. Let me take this man's dog, fix the dog, do whatever he needs to do, sit Fido and go on about your way. Well, I finally get back <laughs> on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and I finally get back on the phone and with a guy. And he was like, so I've got this German short haired pointer. I said, oh, shoot. I asked where the guy lives. He lives on the opposite side of town of me in Decatur. Okay. And so I'm like, huh, and he's black. <laughs> so okay. I'm like, huh. Nice. We okay. got a, we, this, this is, this, this like ping, ping, ping. It, three things lined up right there that I totally didn't see coming, you know, out of, I just, it was just totally left field. And the guy right. was like, and, and his statement that really like made me kind of like, oh, let's see what we can do. His statement was, hey, I got this dog. It, I got the pedigree on the dog. It, it's got all these field champions in it. And the, he doesn't really know a lot about hunting, but he was like, obviously, I have a German short hair. I, I, I was, I, he like either was stationed in Germany or lived over there for a few years. So he knew about the breed. And he was like, yeah, I even started teaching dog commands in German. I was like, huh. And he was like, <laughs> and like what he named the dog was something in German for like good hunter or something like that. Something, whatever. So the guy okay. has like hunting on his mind, right? Uh-huh. And he's in yeah. his statement was I just I got this dog and I don't feel right about just having it and not bringing its genetics out. And I said, "Well, how old oh, yeah. is the dog?" And he was like a year old. That to me was impressive. Like you're doing this dog justice by saying, "Okay, I like the dog." You you can tell he just physically likes the dog. But yeah. I don't want the dog to be a couch potato. In addition to in addition to bugging my wife, you know, and tearing up stuff in the house. Sure, that's great. He was like, because it takes the stress off of me. The dog get on my wife's nerve, and I'm not getting on my wife's nerves now. But he was like, and then <laughs> um, <laughs> now I can take the dog out, and it it actually do something useful. And I said, you know what? That's that's pretty dope, man. Because For that, sure. yeah, like it 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 was. Totally left field, didn't see it coming, and, you know, you're honoring the dog by doing that. So I say that to say, I think, like you said, you know, our this us, this generation of us that's like doing this outdoors thing, doing this bird dog thing, I think we're going to be the ones to kind of fill in whatever gap may or may not have been there before us. You know, because like my grandfather, we didn't necessarily hunt birds. Like I shot a lot of squirrels with him and stuff, and he was very outdoorsy. But like I didn't do that with my dad. I mean, my, uh-huh. my, right? Why is that? I, yeah, why is that? 
I don't know. I, I have no idea. And it's not like they didn't do it when they were kids. Like my dad tells me about, you know, shooting squirrels with slingshots and stuff like that when they were, you know, and, and, and all kinds of stuff. So the, the act of it was there, but there was yeah. just no follow through. Yep. Yeah. I definitely think it has to do with where people grew up too. I my, mean, my dad grew up in Atlanta. They all did that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and in my generation, I mean, there were lots and lots of people around me hunting for sure. I was into the arts, you know, like it just wasn't my thing. And it, it took me a really long time to come around to this is the coolest possible mm. thing you can do. Right. And, and, and I definitely think that what the parents, if you're a cool parent, yeah. you have to like, cat, you know, that's the caveat for everything. Like if you're a cool parent, if you love your children, if you're kind to them and give them the respect that you expect them to give you yep. so you have a good relationship and you make what you do fun, they're going to want to do what you do. do yep. Like I, I, I know that for a fact because my kid is raft guiding in Idaho on the Salmon River right now and he's 18 years old and it's because he grew up having a blast outside. Right. So I feel like I have a nine-year-old daughter and when I finally get a dog, which hopefully will be soon, and start training it, hopefully with you. Hey, I'll me. take it. Come on down here now. Yeah, she is at the perfect age where she's going to bring that to life mm-hmm. and, you know, be the, the person that goes into the future with that. And I think just from the reporting that I've done and stuff, like, there is something happening. Yeah. yeah. Among people your age and younger, like, all those guys we met in Georgia recently, like that, there is a boisterous, like life-filled, positive energy, inclusive thing happening in hunting mm-hmm. that's got to bring people along as they, as the alternative is like technology, 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 terrible diet, diabetes, all that <laughs> right. alternative, like right. come and do this really fun thing. Right. That's good for everyone. It's good for everyone. That made me a bird. Yeah. I mean, it's good for everyone in the birds. I mean, you know, well, hopefully it's good for them, too, because maybe, you know, most people ain't good shots. And hell, you shot with my gun. I I try to get a bird (laughs) the best chance as possible. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and you you get. But but Darrell, you and I have talked about Uh how bird hunting uh-huh. i mean uh-huh. come on let's go let's come on with it then let's let's open up that can of worms tracy so why are we doing that why well the why are we bird hunting like why are we <laughs> like why have i even thought that it was okay and justified in Darrell's own head that <laughs> it's I already know that killing anything for for any kind of leisure because bird hunting is not sustainable as for like you're not going to make a living. I mean, you're not going to feed a whole family with quail like you're not going to do that. Not with wild ones. Right. Not not with the limits and all kinds of stuff like that. So, yeah. And knowing that. Why have why why have we done a few things? Number one, why has Darrell Smith said, okay. I've killed a lot of birds with 12 gauges. I've killed a lot of birds with 20s, 16s, hell, 28s. And I'm going to keep killing, 
but I at least want to give it a good chance. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, yeah, it's still a very selfish act. It just is like, it is inherently very fucking selfish. Now, why have we as people said, like, I, I actually understand more taking a dog out and honoring its genetics and having it point, watching the birds flush away, take a blank pistol, yeah. pow. That's mostly how I hunt most of the time. Right. But, like, that's okay to me. But why have we, Tracy, as a human species said, at the end of the day, these little bitty birds, it's okay to kill them. Like, it's, it's okay to do it. Let's just make this more challenging for myself to for the sake of making it more challenging and maybe the birds get away. I don't, I do not know. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, that is what I am trying to currently explore. I don't know. And I think, um, I don't think we necessarily, my feeling is I don't, I can't answer that personally until I explore explore it from lots of different angles, Mm -hmm. right? Like the spiritual angle, like value of life angle, leisure angle, draw, you know, like I don't feel qualified to answer that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will tell you what troubles me. Okay. And maybe this troubles you too. I think it does trouble you because I think we talked about this. Uh I did not necessarily enjoy killing a deer. No, I don't, I don't, I don't get a thrill out of killing anything. Right. And as you know, I had a fairly, not traumatic, I hate that word, but like uh, complicated for me as a first time mammal hunter Mm -hmm. uh, killing of this deer that I shot. And it didn't go like perfectly and I needed the help of some coyotes and a hawk. Oh, can we, can we, can we, detail, can we detail that? Before we continue with the podcast, I just want to talk about one of my favorite tools in the Onyx Hunt app. But before you do that, before you listen to me, go into the Onyx Hunt app. Go ahead and subscribe if you have not subscribed now. Use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off that subscription. So when we get into the app, I want to show you guys and talk a little bit about real quick how to use the area tool. When you open it up, you'll go down to the bottom and you'll tap map tools. When you tap on map tools, you'll tap on area shape. After that, hit that drop point um, selection or tap the map on your first desired point. Then just continue dropping points around the area to complete that selection. Now, why would we use this? Why do we use the area shapes? Well, it helps you, number one, for you deer hunters and everybody else, um, helps you know the exact size of your food plots, okay? Um, or if you are a quail man and, and, and you doing some burning, it's about that time of season, it helps you plan your prescribed fire zone and also just in totality, it helps you map out a long-term management plan for your property. So check out Onyx Hunt today and again, use my promo code GDN20 at checkout. All right, folks. So, of course, it is officially summertime in Georgia. 
in summertime everywhere else, but it sure is hot down here, and I got bird dogs that still need to be trained. Well, Yukonuba wants to keep you guys safe, keep your dogs safe, by talking about the, the fact that, just simply put, heat can hurt. What I'm talking about is exercise-related or exercise-induced heat-related illness, or HRI. A bird dog's drive can override his ability to recognize he's heating up, pushing it too far, and he's at high risk of a dangerously high core body temperature. It's our responsibility as dog owners to know when our dog might overheat and take preventative action. Exercised heat-related illness, or HRI, can affect even the most well-conditioned bird dog. That's why Yukonuba is spreading the word. Your dog can develop exercise-induced HRI at any time, but there's an additional risk in the preseason when it's hot. Make sure you're hydrating, conditioning, and acclimating your bird dog to the heat. Learn how to identify the signs, exercise-induced HRI, and what to do if you see them at yukonubasportingdog.com backslash HRI. Thanks, guys. Keep your dog safe, keep them hydrated, and go check out that website now. And before we get to the podcast, as we proceed, as, as what, what, what did he say? As we proceed to give you what you need, um, I want to talk about AYA. And uh, <laughs> if you guys checked out my, my social media recently, my Instagram, you guys probably talk, saw me talking a little cash money trash to my buddy Austin Gauthier, who filmed the uh, upcoming uh, Project Upland film that I've got going on. It's uh, entitled Get the Art. So <laughs> you saw me talking a little trashes because Austin, his eyes got big when he saw I, I pulled out my 410, my AYA number 453 in 410 when I went out to uh, chase after some wild quail down in South Georgia. I'm loving it and I'm loving it to death and I actually need to check the statistics on whether that shot in the film was luck or skill. Austin says it was luck. I say it was skill, of course, but that leads me to two things. Number one, I am interested in getting the new podcast, the new Project Upland podcast host, Joe Pancala of the Gun Room podcast on to talk a little bit about why quail men down here in the South shoot 410s. Why is that a thing? Um, my buddy Charlie Jordan would definitely, definitely appreciate that. But again, guys, I just want to direct you all to, um, I just want to direct you guys to AYA. You can go to AYA Fine Guns now and check out all their accessories, all their shotguns, all their rifles, you know, and just understand that a fine shotgun in and of itself is a work of art. So, you know, if you're anything like me, go get yourself an AYA. You'll have a wonderful heirloom piece that is honestly made at a very, 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 very reasonable price. Um, AYAs are guns. They are more than just guns. They are objects of desire. Um, they make double barrel shotguns, again, in both side-by-side -side and over-under box lock and side locks, as well as double rifles in all models. So check them out today at AYA-FineGuns.com. And before we get to the podcast, get back to the podcast, I want to remind you guys to go to Project Upland com and subscribe to our community newsletter um, subscribe to the magazine the project upland magazine and hunting dog confidential if you need a, a uh, 
subscription, give me a holler. Let's see if we can't get that for you. But go to projectupland.com, subscribe today. Basically, I went on a hunt. I got invited on a learn to hunt hunt. And being a first time hunter, I shot at a deer that was bedded down. I didn't know that that might be a bad idea and that that maybe wasn't like standard. Right. And I ended up shooting this deer between be uh, through the front ankle i guess the deer have ankles ankle yeah, yeah. The, the the ankle looking the the part that would be an ankle the ankle looking thing. Yeah, the ankle yeah. looking thing yeah <laughs> okay this is, this is embarrassing but i'm glad you're like you know they, they they were lined up next to each other underneath its body and i thought i had a great shot of its chest and lungs and i was just a little low shot it through the two ankles it got up and ran couldn't really track it very well because it, you know, it didn't bleed very much where I shot it. Mm-hmm. And we decided, I decided I have to take ownership of this after tracking it for a little while that I wanted to, I was there to get a deer and meat to bring home. And so I kept hunting instead of continuing to track this deer. And that was conflicting, but that was my choice. And then a day later or later that afternoon, the person I was with uh, took a drive. We went back to the tent to have lunch and warm up a little bit. It was in January, really cold. He took a drive and on his little drive, he looked out into this field and he saw this hawk that was like, looked like it wasn't flying. It was sitting on something that was elevated above the ground and it was the deer. Yeah. And coyotes had gotten that deer right so it already was injured it probably wasn't running all that well maybe the coyotes took their opportunity and gutted it killed it and the cool part is that i got to harvest the front half of the deer so i didn't feel like a total jerk yeah so you Um, actually you still may do with it okay yeah for sure and i took it home and and my husband and i he's never we've never processed an animal before, but we like did it. We, yeah. You know, we made burger and we made really good food. And the, well, a lot of people, Hank Shaw wouldn't think I, well, what we made was good but, <laughs> um, at all. Yeah. But, um, but you know, like my daughter, we made like medallions one night and my nine year old daughter wanted to take them in her lunch box the next day. So to me, instead of, you know, wanting to take like the crappy lunchable that she wishes for, she took that and that was a win and also giving her this meat, giving some of this meat to her bus driver and his joy over that was a win for sure. But at the end of the day, I kind of was like, I don't know if I want to do that again. Yeah. And then I talked to someone who I really, really, really respect in the hunting world. And she said, if you still have a drive to do this, I suggest you go bird hunting. Okay. 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 That's how this is all coming back around, okay. right? And so she was like, don't give it up. It's kind of like, you know, you crash on your bike or you fall off a horse. You've got to get back up, up unless you're just like, this is the dumbest thing in the world and I never want to do it. But you do want to do it. And for me, brand new hunter learning right now in the moment, I'm really loving so much about it that I wasn't going to be like, 
oh, just because of that bad deer experience. Like, I wanted to kind of give it up, but she suggested I go on a quail hunt, and I did. And that was my jam. Yeah. Like, that was much closer to my jam. Now, that was with Cammy. So, now we're back to... Okay. Yeah, it was Cammy. Okay, okay. So, so now... Yeah. So, now we're back to, like, why... And then I, you know, I killed a quail on this quail hunt. It was, it was like, incredible. Yeah. Hiking over land in the Coronado National Forest, working with dogs. Everybody brought these dogs. And then, like, being a part of a team... And being able to fire, you know, it was just really, it was amazing. And therein is the question, why was that invigorating, but uh-huh. the deer experience so crappy? Uh-huh. Well, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm the world's worst deer hunter. I've been three, three times total. Never shot a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't like it because frankly, I just don't like being in a tree stand and, you know, that's kind of how you have to hunt or how people hunt here in Georgia. Well, boring. Yeah, it's so boring. boring. I, I didn't, I was just fundamentally not thrilled about doing it. And then I already don't like heights anyway. So I'm like, eh, I'm good. If I'm going to <laughs> if I'm if I'm be up high, I don't want to just be sitting here. Um, you know, and I told you that whole story, whole tornado and all of that stuff. Well, I think with bird hunting, I think there is, I think the thing that makes it fulfilling is a sense of camaraderie. I think that's there. Like that's the thing that is in place of, I just went out and shot something. And not that you can't have camaraderie in deer hunting or, or hog hunting or anything else like that. I just, I, I think just the act of upland hunting is inherently more eloquent. You know, I, I and, and I think the presentation of it comes off a little softer. Like as, as far as like, it's not like I just shot this big ass deer and I'm, I'm taking home all of this meat and stuff like that. No, you've got this really delicate bird, you know? You, you've got this yeah. thing that was actually pretty tough to shoot. You know, yes, it, was, it was tough to find sure. and even tougher to shoot. And you yes. got this thing that you worked really hard for. And there's that I think there's that sense of gratitude and accomplishment that's just inherently there. Hell, I don't frankly find anything sexy about a dead deer photo. <laughs> I, no, that's not. <laughs> I just no, don't like no. But I think there's uh-huh. I th- but I would I love looking at pictures of dogs on point. And birds flushing away, or I love. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not really a tailgate photo kind of guy. Like I actually really don't get off to stuff like that. But you know, seeing a dog sitting in front of however many birds, and you've got this really nice gun. You know, what I'm saying not that you can't yeah. have nice guns in, in yeah. deer hunt, but it just inherently comes off a little yeah. more poetic. Yes, I think you're absolutely right, and you're making me think of my favorite photo of my grandfather mm-hmm. who I I mean my grandparents are really fascinating my grandmother grew up in Hollywood very very wealthy like blah 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 and my grandfather grew up in Utah and super poor how did they and he pumped her gas he was he pumped he was a student at the University of Southern California studying engineering he was pumping her gas they got married they moved to Idaho oh wow and they both hunted parking lot and pimping. they both what? I said that's parking lot pimping right there. 
<laughs> well, yeah. And they they were into hunting. That was the way they experienced the outdoor world. Right. And, you know, they, they lived not too far from where Hemingway did his thing and like the Hemingway Preserve and up near Ketchum in Haley, Idaho. And I'll skip over my grandmother who I, my whole life I've wanted to emulate her. And she was a pheasant hunter and she had this amazing group of friends. And I just remember being a little kid walking around underneath their, their dining room table when she'd have these big parties where everyone, they'd be cooking what they killed and, you know, their bird dogs would be around or her dog. And I would hang out with her dog. But anyway, my favorite picture of my grandfather is of him out in Idaho, high desert, hot as hell, probably, or maybe not, probably fall. And, uh, you know, just with his like six friends and they all have their dogs and they're all sitting down and they've all got their bird, their pheasants out in front of them. And for whatever reason, that has always struck me as this image of beauty. Yep. This image of like, these are my people. Yep. That's my person. Yeah. And that's, that's that interesting thing with killing and then being okay with killing. And then this like romantic thing that's, that's like in there somehow right. that I'm so fascinated with. I, 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 I've actually, it's so funny. I've actually never had this conversation with anyone as to like why this is like, you know, why is it okay? Just simply put, why is it okay? Not that it's not okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Is it okay? Is it like, (laughs) you know, because like I said, we got to talking and I wrote that whole article on, you know, my granddaddy's gun for outdoor life. And and you were like really fascinated about that. I think that was one of the first conversations we had something about that. It was like one of the first conversations we had. And I'm yep. looking at the gun now. It is very special to me. And that's the gun also that I, that's the gauge that I go back to. Like I started with that 410, right? It's 101 years old. Yep. And I got that. And then I go to a, a Remington 870 camouflage, like super hunter, hunter, hunter gun, right? Like <laughs> at 12 gauge, I do that. And then I drop down and I'm like, all right, well, I want to get a little more fancy and so I go to like a pawn shop and I buy this Stoger Uplander side-by-side shotgun fixed chokes 16 gauge, right? Because I'm all romantic now. Yeah. <laughs> and then I move up to my, there's a couple other guns in between there, but I move up to my Beretta 20 gauge over and under. And so there's also this, this matriculation of like the different types of firearms that you decide you want to shoot. You start developing your own personal little style. Right. You know, and, and I then, mean, I get, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you find what you like, you find what you don't like. And then I, I still somehow end up back at a 410, you know, like, yeah, I love that. you know, like, what is it? What, what is it about these things that pulls us and cycle? And again, like you, this was my grandfather's gun. Like it was his stepfather's gun. What is it about grandparents that yeah. swings us back around? Well, I just thought of something. Like, okay, would it be the same if I could ride my grandmother's bike? No, definitely. 
I mean, maybe if you were like Lance Armstrong, is Lance Armstrong? Yeah, I guess if you were like a like a like a bike rider professional or something like that, and not that she would have a professional bike, but maybe you know you're just like driving around town. But no, it wouldn't be the same. No, fundamentally, no, it'd be awful. Yeah, maybe we're getting to something because like technology. You know, like, I'm not, no matter how much I love cycling, I'm not going to go get on a bike that was built in 1950 and ride it around and, you know, for real. But I am going to use my grandmother's 257 Roberts and go out and hunt with that. Like, that's what I shot my deer with. And I didn't know that that was a kind of an obsolete or weird gun. I had no idea. It's just what I had. But everywhere we went, when we went to Nebraska to do this hunt, like the old timers were all like, they, they could spot it from really far away. They knew what it was. And there was something about that institutional knowledge that was ugh, so yeah. great. Yeah. But I feel like if I tried to explain this to my non hunting friends, they, they, I don't even get it yet, but they would judge me before trying to get it. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, absolutely. Well, I, all right. So let's go back to bird dogs. Now talking about judgment and things like that. Now we get, now we, now yeah. we going down the rabbit hole a little bit. So okay. I, I, uh, you know, I just did that, uh, that, that, that shoot for Filson. I showed you the stuff and under, and I was looking under one of the comments that they had on their, um, Instagram about, it was a picture that I had of like, and and she her head was kind of out of the box and they were showing this like duffel bag or something like that that they were selling and in the comments <laughs> i was like you know it was, a, it was a wonderful picture but in the comments there's this guy or person or whoever it was that was just kind of like hunting with bird dogs is basically i and and, and i can't quote them word for word but basically hunting with dogs is is cheating oh please really yeah and I mean, like completely discounting any oh. anything. I mean, there's no kind of hunting with a dog that is cheating anyway, in, in, as far as I'm concerned. But the idea that you will get on here and and on, on a platform like you know Filson, yeah, and say something like that lets me know that you are not thinking. Because if you think about the mechanics of a bird dog or a hunting dog right. in, in and of itself, like, I wish, I, you know what, Tracy? I wish that I could just buy a dog and say, go find that shit. Uh-huh. I wish I could. I, I, I wish right, that I right. could. But no, that you would, don't. Do you really? No, I don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> because that would take away everything no. that that is bird dogging. But. Yeah. You know, just for conversation's sake, I wish that I could go and get me a blue tick coon hound and say, find that coon. And the joker called mm-hmm. me on my cell phone and say, come get him. He wrapped the bag. <laughs> I wish I had a pointer. I sometimes now I will trash talk anybody when it come to a short hair, but I'm not going to lie on my dogs, though. I do not have a dog that I can say, go get it. And it's just going to immediately solve the problem for me. There's a lot of learning habitat, a lot of learning the dog's habits, a lot of, you know. So when people say it's cheating, how? Because that's a lot of work to be cheating. The point of cheating is to not do as much work. Right. And like you told me before, 
for you, it's like shooting blanks and stuff like that. I don't know you all that well, but like what I do pick up is that you're out there to have this relationship with your dogs and train them and learn from them and go out and walk across beautiful country. And the, the birds are, they're not incidental because the dogs need them to learn, but like you don't shoot that many birds. You told me. No, I shoot. I give myself a limit of three wild quail that I've killed a season. That's amazing. Like now, mind you, I think the limit here is like, Hell, I don't even know what the limit. I think it's like six. And I don't even think that's like a oh, thing. that's I, not even very many. It's not very many. That's wow. why I say like shooting quail, even if you're hunting wild, is not sustainable. Right. So I got it, it is inherently a sport. <laughs> like, it's a sport. Exactly. It's a Going sport. Back, like, yes. It's an art. Sure. It is very much so an art in, in, in the practice and the discipline. But when we're talking about like, Am I going out to hunt quail so I can feed my two young children upstairs? No. Right. Yeah. And so if I'm going to do that, not only am I going to try to level the playing field, sure. So I shoot a 410. But if I'm going to do that, before I kill anything, the best that I can do is line up everything and make sure the dog's point is good. You know what I'm saying? Or if the dog's point is not good, I understand why it's not before I close, you know, my gun and pull those triggers. I want everything as best as I possibly can get to line up to make the art form lowercase a capital A. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I, 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 it needs to, you have to elevate the experience of, of wing shooting. Yeah. And, and, and that's what makes it special. Well, and that also makes it less terrible. Right. Because if you're, I mean, there's a million ways to justify any single thing, but, you know, is hunting necessary? That oh, that question I'm thinking about all the time. I, yes, I do believe it is. Yeah. And, but when we're talking about what we're doing, um, you know, taking a life and like the smarter the animal, the more sentient the being or whatever, like the more value that life has. It's that's just like a conversation you could have forever. But the way that you just described it about taking ownership, which honestly is what I didn't do enough of when I went on my deer hunt, I didn't practice enough. Because yeah. I have three kids and busy and blah, 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 blah. But I got to like reconfigure my priorities. If I'm going to hunt, I have to ride my bike less and I have to go to the shooting range more and I have to practice or I have to go shoot trap or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I love what you say because it's not really about the killing for you. I think it is for a lot of people. Yeah, I know a lot. Now, I know some killers now. I know right. some guys that like shooting birds. I'm going to talk a little trash about my duck hunters. Most of them are duck hunters. <laughs> <laughs> but fund, fund, fundamentally, and that that was, uh, that was a shot for my buddy Austin who filmed this Project Upland thing. But, um, you know, I, 
there aren't enough birds out there anyway, particularly quail, to go on a quail massacre. And so, again, if if all you're there for is to, you know, see a dog do a half-ass point, have them run right. around like crazy, you hooping and hollering everywhere, you know what I'm saying? You're not singing to them. You're, you just, whoa, goddammit. Move, get back here. Ah, like you doing all that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and it's not eloquent. That's when it's it's not fun for me. Like it's just not like I personally don't want to be out there hunting with somebody who dog just isn't under control unless there is an understanding that hey, look, my dog is under is is not there and we need to work him. You know what I'm saying? We need to right. we need to build up to getting that dog. Then okay, cool. But when there's no poetry about it, when there's no concern for just like I'm not I'm not gonna shoot a bird if my dog doesn't point it. Like just because a bird's got up off the ground, that, that doesn't mean shoot him. Like no, you because yeah, all like your that. your dog isn't gonna learn anything. Right, right, and again. You're just bringing it back to it's not about shooting the deer. It's about this relationship between you, the dog, and the bird. Mm -hmm. Even though the bird is arguably not in the relationship because it's not aware that it's in the it's, relationship. It's not consciously. It's It's been it's yeah. an indirect. Uh, it's a casualty. It's a casualty. It's a casualty. It, is, it is a casualty. Yeah. Yes. Which is, which is the ethical problem. It, well, I, I think all we can do is or as, issue. It's 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 the issue because the thing is when we talk about ethics, we can go all day about hey, you know, where Hunter Orange, you know, and and where um, you know, and, and and don't do this, and and we can tell people, human beings, how many different ways that you know to kill something properly per se. Mm-hmm. But not once was there ever any consideration for, well, maybe this bird just didn't want to die today. Now, this, well, this, right. this, this is the other catch, though. As far as nature and hunting goes, like a bobcat doesn't give a shit whether a quail wants to die that day or not. That's a really good point. So have we, I, 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 in my opinion, the only way that I can justify that is we've just put ourselves on the plane as any other predator in the woods. I like that. I know people would argue, well, you know better and da 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 da. But I also you're you're making me think about my deer and how in a way, yeah, I had the weapon, I made the bad shot. But like at the end of the day, what I really got off on about that experience was that there were one, two, three, four species working. Yeah, I mean, everybody. Inadvertently working together. And I was the only one conscious of it, maybe. Yeah. I don't know, maybe the hawk knew. But, like, that that was a that was a joint effort yeah. and super cool. And I guess, like, we're the only ones who are capable of thinking about it, making it an issue, debating it, mm -hmm. calling it right or wrong. So well, and, that's and that, that the, hawk, the fun that, and interesting part. Yeah, like that hawk didn't give a shit whether that bird was injured or not. Like, 
that coyote didn't care. Like, you know, and and right. that that's what it comes down to. Like, nature is inherently opportunistic. You know, one yeah. one one uh, Instagram profile I actually really like following, um, and I got it from Stephen Ranella's podcast. The guy was on there. Um, is nature is metal. Yeah, it's it's a really trippy kind of page because wow, I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, it's called Nature Is Metal, like M E T A L. Um, and I, I get there's uh-huh. some something about heavy metal music that was an inspiration for the thing. So whatever it was, there's a podcast about it that was pretty recent on the Meat Eater podcast. Well, I go on the page and all, you know it's 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 like basically crowdsourced. Uh, post like people send this guy th- these posts about nature being nature and it's like an elephant uh, like an elephant mom and it's uh like little elephant baby gets stuck in the mud and like all these hyenas and vultures and shit start killing it like you know what i'm saying like oh yeah yeah <laughs> but us yeah. as humans we'd be like oh no save the elephant you know like right w- we have Yep. You know, but again, it goes back to, okay, well, what if we consciously, like, would Neolithic people have thought about saving the elephant? Hell no. Right. No. Right. It would have been, if I get this elephant out of this mud, I'm eating it. Right. You yeah. know, and so I think there's value in accepting, uh, that we just go back a little bit. I mean, not back intelligently, but we go like hunting brings out an acceptance of a certain kind of primitivism. I love that. I love that so much. And I, I <laughs> well, mean, I think you. it even like, what? I said, well, thank you. <laughs> yes. No, I love it. And I think that's actually what is happening when I look at the picture of my grandfather too. It's like, I loved him. I didn't get to know him very long. I wasn't, you know, mature enough to have like deep conversations. He invented the Ross bait baffler. You really? probably have never heard of it, but it's this cool. You don't act like you've heard of it. No, 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 it's no. no, a, no. <laughs> Explain it. But yes, I've heard of it. Go ahead. It's a, it's this cool like tin thing on hinges. Yeah. So that your worms are always on the top. Like you can flip it around and the worms yeah. are always on the top. <laughs> no, I've heard. I promise you. I promise you. I've heard. Now I ain't the best fisherman in the world, but I have heard of that. I just wanted you to explain it. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, whatever. He invented that, and you know, it's, I remember I was a little kid, and they'd be in their their back shop pressing these bay boxes and stuff, and I'd be coloring. But I never got to hang out with this guy. And of course, you mythologize and you make someone bigger yeah. in all their positive ways when they're dead but um it's kind of a much closer thing it's like connecting to the past because the present is so fucked up in so many ways and our food systems like everything else is just uh so fraught yeah and looking back into that kind of sepia tone picture and going, oh my God, that was just about friendship and self-sufficiency and athleticism and connection to the land. Like that's that's what it is. So beautiful. It's um, 
it's so funny that you said sepia tone and that that whole vibe. I've got a series of photos that um that I took of my dogs just out, you know, hunting and stuff. And there's this like filter in like Lightroom or some, Adobe Lightroom or something like that that I can turn the photos into cyanotypes. Like that blue uh-huh. that bluish cool. kind of old school tone. And I messed with yeah. it and I actually really liked it. So I really wanted to, I learned how to do cyanotypes in, in, in uh, undergrad because I'm an art major. Um, and my, my uh, I never got into photography. It just wasn't really my thing. But my teacher showed us this really cool way to make cyanotypes. And I had this really dope image that I cannot find to this day. I, th- I think I still have an, like a, a copy of it, but like I can't find the original and I was just like, damn, what if I did photos like that of my bird dogs? Like, you know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. Just to capture that vibe, you know? Yeah. Um. But no, I mean, back to the point, I think there is a lot of value in, you know, even those photos and all kinds of stuff like that. Because, yeah, like now, I'm sorry, man, this is a lot going on in the world right now. You know, it's, it's, it's it's a lot going on. And, you know, those are the things that kind of help you kind of drift away in a, in a, in a, in a way. Well, or connect you deeper. Like we, my family is really into rafting. And the reason we're really into rafting is because one of the, when you go out on the middle fork of the salmon river, you don't, you can't connect at all Mm -hmm. and you're completely self-sufficient and you're on your own there's rattlesnakes there's big rapids that are changing all the time there's a million ways to get in trouble or hurt yourself and you are like it's up to you and that is that's just so cool and and i think when we're connected to death and life and death like that it's i don't know it's not for everybody obviously but I just, I just want to connect. I just want to, to not like step out of reality, but step into reality. Right. I, th- I like that stepping like, into reality. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and to this, and, and I know we, we spoke about it on the, the other recording that, you know, me, Ashley, uh, Cammie and, 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 and you did. Wow. Grammatically, that was terrible. But <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. No, I thought I was like, yeah, you know how you like as being a writer, like something comes out and you have your everyday speech and then you clean it up when you're writing. But that what I oh, just yeah. said didn't even feel I was like, oh, like I just kind of stumbled over. <laughs> I was like, oh, anyway, I didn't notice. Yeah, well, I appreciate <laughs> it. OK, the four of us <laughs> when we recorded, um, you know, we were talking about just the change in times, man. And, and that's the reality of now, like uh, particularly yeah. upland hunting and bird dogs. It's not such a male centric thing anymore. No, it doesn't seem like it. I don't know. I haven't been in it long enough. It's but, not. I'm um, telling you, it's not. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Um, and I. You know, that that's the thing. And, and I think that was another thing, you know, in your article, Women Hunters and, and Anglers may be the planet's best hope. You know, we it teeter totters on that, that 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 idea. And I really like um, 
I just really appreciated the article. But what was before I go to the next thing, what was like the impetus behind writing that article? Like what, what was the, the thing that sparked that? Oh, honestly, outside asked me to okay. do it, but okay. <laughs> which is cool. Well, it was just, re- cool I really like your perspective on that. Well, and it's cool that they, they wanted that article written to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I was super excited when they assigned it to me because I just think like, I, I was talking to, I don't want to say agent because it sounds so snooty and weird, but I was talking to my book agent yesterday about this book that I want to write about the changing culture of hunting. And, you know, he was like all about women hunting and da, 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 da. And I know why that's really cool, but I just feel like that's a part of what's happening. And and I don't necessarily want to just focus on that thing because I think it's operating in the, a larger change and shift that's happening. Yeah. But when I had the opportunity to write about Artemis, I had no idea who Jesse was Johnson yeah. or what an amazing person she is. And she is the reason that that story is exists and that it's cool because she just talked forever and she has such an amazing upbringing and backstory. And if you haven't had her on your podcast, you should, because she's brilliant. I would love to. Let's let's work on that afterwards. Yeah. She's the queen for sure. And, um, but was, what was cool was I just wrote that story kind of in a vacuum. Like I'm interested in this. Thank you for the assignment. I'm very interested in it. Um, what, how cool what these women are doing Jesse actually invited me to go up and go on a, a archery hunt with her in Wyoming. I live in Colorado and I didn't get to do it at the time, but like that so much about her uh, upbringing and her experience as a hunter and her wisdom, just what I was on fire with learning about that. And I think that the story was, you know, it was really well received. I remember backcountry hunters and anglers, you know, sharing it and stuff. And that was really cool for me because I usually write about like girls disappearing in Nepal or, you know, Tibetan self-immolators or yeah. rafting, never hunting. And, um, I don't, I just was immediately like, this is the coolest thing that's happening right now. Right. So that's probably what you're feeling in the story was all I was doing was channeling this amazing thing that was happening, you know? I, like I, it was me, it was just, like so cool. Yeah, there was an excitement about it, and I was like, "Damn!" Like that, I think your excitement in it, I felt it, and it kept me going through it. And it, yeah. like it, it, I think that's the thing. Uh, the The piece is written phenomenally, of course, but you translate your feelings about something very well. And I think I said this before to you, like you translate that very well through what you're writing, um, your exact you. feeling, and and I'm I'm like there with you. Um, you know, it's, it's very there. So let, let's, let's talk about this because you came down here, um, to Georgia to hang out, you know, with me, Ashley and, and Cammie. Mm-hmm. Partly, uh, well, I appreciate it. Um, partially for, for, for like, you know, this book that you're working on. 
mm-hmm. and partially for bird dog stuff. So, like, let's talk about that. You know, and what were you looking for, like, as far as your books? What were you looking for for bird dogs? And, yeah. and just talk about the whole, you know, just being down here, hanging out. Yeah. Well, um, it all, you know, it all stems back to the Artemis story and then getting another assignment to write about Chelsea Cassens, who's another woman hunter out in Oregon. Amazing. And, you know, interviewing a lot of people to write about her because that's how you write a profile. You don't just like get someone's opinion about themselves. You talk to everyone around that person. And one of the people I talked to was Mating Putellis of uh, Hunt to Eat. And he honestly like Jesse was the first person that just door wide open, like here, the door is open. You've expressed interest. Come on in. And same with Chelsea, just like, I'm going to tell you absolutely everything about my life. And then Mating inviting me to go on a hunt. And I have a friend named Dave Cox, who's a filmmaker down in New Mexico, who's friends with Jesse Dubell, who's the uh, head of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. And uh, I'm trying to be quick here, but basically I was okay. So I was introduced. This all was all happening during COVID, right? Like nobody was supposed to go anywhere. I, and I didn't, I didn't feel that way. I felt okay traveling with the right precautions. And through my friend, Dave, who's making all these really cool films. um, I met Tammy and Tammy invited me to come and do an elk hunt with her on the Navajo nation. And like, who gets to do that? I don't know anyone who even gets to really go on the Navajo nation and cruise around and just like see what it's like. So I did that. And then right after that, there was a a, all women quail hunt, learned a quail hunt sponsored by Artemis and some other people in the New Mexico wildlife Federation. So I went down to the Coronado National Forest, the border of Mexico, and another mind-blowing experience. And then Cammie, this is just the way it happens. Like, this person finds out you're, that you're okay and you're just like this curious journalist who wants to learn about hunting and wants to also on a personal level, come on in, come on in. That's what everyone does. Come on in, let me show you, let me show you. Mm-hmm. And everyone's so far. And so Cammie was coming down to meet up with you because you invited her down there to be on the board of the Minority Outdoor Alliance. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? Yep. Yep. And uh, just you're an Ashley's awesome thing. <laughs> and um, and so, of course, I was like, hell yeah, I have to go do that. Yep. I have to go meet this guy, you, you know, and just. You, you, what you do and who you are fascinates me. And knowing also, you know, that you live in Georgia and that you go hunting and do these, don't don't go hunting, you do these trials on plantations. I was just like, what the actual fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How can you do that? Like, how can you, does your brain let you do that and you're, heart and what's that like and that is honestly why I wanted to come down is I think the hunting is all really cool I love it I want to do it I'm learning about it but for me it's the people and the stories that make up this changing culture 
and you specifically, I wanted to just like, you know, a black guy going to these segregated bird dog trials in Georgia on plantations. I wanted to know what you were thinking yeah, and what all that meant to you. So that's why, you know, that's, <laughs> that's why I came down yeah, yeah, because I wanted to learn from you, but I, but I knew like we hit it off and we're both artists and writers and I knew it was going to be really cool, but I really was hoping to learn about that. Yeah. And I did, I did on the, the last day. <laughs> well, I was hoping so, man, like I, you know, it's like not the season and all kinds of stuff like that. So I was like, dang, like, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, discuss that without it actually happening? You know, because if it were March, we could just go, you know, or or, or if it were any time during the season, we just go. Right. And, and I think when, when but, you, yeah, go ahead. It might not have happened if, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Hadn't died. I don't think it would have. Really? Because that spark, we were on a mission, right? Like yeah. we had XYZ lined up and then we were going to go do this and then that and then this and that. And like you were being such an incredible host, packing it all in for us. And Cammie was there to learn and I was there to shadow and watch and learn too a little bit just to, you know, getting my toes wet. Yeah. Um, but that that was so powerful for me. I'm glad. Thank like, you. Like like what came after? Yeah. Like the conversations that came after she died. It you know, I think Q dying on that weekend and I didn't really talk a lot about it, you know, like as far as like podcast outwardly, you know, so I'm just not that kind of person, but on here, you know, this is more like it's a journal for me. It's, it's it's an auditory journal. So, like, I guess processing it when we were all there because, you know, I fundamentally thought the dog was asleep, you know? Yeah. And yeah. everything that kind of led up to her passing, just I think that was the turn of events that sparked a lot of the deeper conversations that we were having about the South. And it's interesting how life will, like, if there's that energy of like, look, we're trying to get this done, and and and, and there needs to be this this informational thing that needs to happen, but nobody knows how it's going to happen. Because I fundamentally yeah. didn't. I was just like, well, shoot, if they come down here, like, I got to go train these dogs anyway. So, <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I wasn't going to do yeah. anything different than I than I normally do. Right. And so, it's just interesting how like stuff like that transpires to inspire a, a, a broader conversation. I completely agree with you. Like nothing like that is an accident mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. And super, super unfortunate and sad that that happened, but we would not have been talking about death and the number of people who died unjustly in horrible deaths in Alabama, Georgia, that region, or slaves, or the the feelings that you have sometimes when you go on plantations, yeah. if that hadn't happened. 
Yeah, I, it's it's a surreal kind of thing because like I don't know, like, and I know you know this, like having kids makes you think about your own mortality. Like, I I, I wake up thinking about mortality in a very like this could happen kind of way. You know, and, and I, I think that's just a that's like parenthood. Like there's just that like you know, you you never want anything to happen because you know it can happen because life is life is life is life. Yeah. Or life is life and death and 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 life is death. That's what I meant to mean. Uh, yeah. Life is life is life and life is death. So like you, you have this fundamental understanding of like shit could happen. But this thing with bird dogs is supposed to be this joyous, like you go out, you have a good time. Nobody was thinking about anything death related or historical related. I think the conversations no. were a little lighter when we were like, you know, just kind of going and we were linking up and stuff like that. And it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. I'm, you know, yeah. hollering at the dog, stuff like that. And, and there's this educational component of like, you know, Jamie was, was, was asking all kinds of questions. What is the dog, what is the dog doing here? Like, you know, there's this yeah. very pointed, like, thing but then this very abstract event comes and happens right yeah it's 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 abstract meaning like nobody saw it coming nothing was wrong with the dog beforehand like it just all all, the only real issue was that the dog wasn't hunting right and not really uh responding to your like she was doing her own thing she was doing her own thing meanwhile the other dog just fine. So yeah, it, it, it's just this really abstract event that comes in that is the spark that lights everything else off. Right. And now everybody's thinking like, dang, <laughs> like, because it, it, it and I, and it wasn't like a, Oh, my dog died. Like, Hey Tracy, you know, a lot of black people died. Like it didn't happen like that. It was, it was, no, it was no, like, no, no, no. I, I want to be clear. Like it was more of a, the dog dies and there was a conversation about me not wanting to bury the dog on my buddy's property. Yeah. Because I didn't want the spirits of that dog to be lingering right. around on that property in the event because I would feel like trash in the event something ever happened there. Right. And that became a larger conversation of, shoot, my grandmama was really, really spiritual. Uh-huh. And then you kept digging and did your journalist thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just ask questions. That's all I do. I'm just curious. You I know. just ask questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, and, and it was just the way that you you know capital not angles capitalize like this sounds really bad but uh, like no. you didn't capitalize on anything but like the way that you just were able to make the moment transcend the event the experience became much larger than the event the conversation mm-hmm. was more of an it, it seemed to me the conversation was much more of an analysis well i mean you brought it up right you brought up like there are a lot of spirits like kind of, I'm paraphrasing, but like restless spirits around here already. Yeah. That's what you said. Yeah. And then I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. And then the trail of tears came up and slavery came up and 
I, I live, I grew up in Idaho. I live in Colorado. I don't get to, I never <laughs> have those conversations with anyone, you know? Yeah. And to, to be with someone like you and Anthony. Mm-hmm. Cause and Anthony Kevin, got it. You know, Anthony got it immediately. Oh yeah, for sure. And I just, I felt like, like I went and did a story in India one time about Tibetans who light themselves on fire to draw attention to China's treatment of Tibetans. What? And, oh yeah. Yeah, it was intense. But wow. I mean, I have a point here. So we're at, you know, we're at, we're in Dharamsala where the Dalai Lama lives. Yeah. And we're doing Kora, like walking meditation around the, the, where he lives and it's in, it's really intense, cool experience. And I, I honestly felt that same poignancy in that experience that we had. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating in any way whatsoever. And for a couple of reasons, it was totally organic. Yep. It wasn't manufactured and you're not the kind of person it's like, you don't have a, I, I can I hate interviewing people who have like a point they want to make or an axe to grind or whatever. Cause yeah. you don't ever get to know the person, yeah. but you're just out there like showing us who you are. Same with Ashley. Like we get to go into your house. We're seeing how challenging it is with little kids. You just moved. Da, 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 da. I knew immediately that we were like in a territory of like authenticity and then to have that experience and to have you openly talk about being troubled by this was for me as powerful as like talking to any of those people whose, whose children had lit themselves on fire. Just, wow. Wow. It's real, yeah. real, real human experience. And it was, it was really moving. And I, I just was like, I understood, I didn't understand. I don't understand anything really about the you know the South. I, I like how can I? But yeah. well, you um, had you had a lot of I don't want to say it like this, but this is real. You had a lot of death on on the itinerary as far like you went to see Oakland Cemetery. You know what I'm saying? Like there was you know <laughs> yes, there, there was this, yes. this like you know then there was this other story that we were talking about that was really crazy that you know that just blew us all away that you know you've got experience with that and yeah. not to say that it was like a very death filled weekend like that's not what we were going for but no. there was there were like subtle hints of like like when i look at i think there were like little breadcrumbs of things that were going to lead up to q passing like or or i mean i I don't know about that. I think her passing was a terrible, terrible yeah. cause of her drinking too much water. But I do think our conversation—the door was open. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like there was already yeah. this, like, like when you told when y'all told us you went to Oakland Cemetery, Ashley, and I was like, dang, they came here for the real, didn't they? Like. <laughs> okay, and then you showed up through Bankhead. I was like, "Oh, y'all really came down here to get the real." Okay, well, this what we gonna do then, <laughs> you know? And yeah, because why not? What else? I don't understand. I just I can't really operate on the surface very well. Yeah, well, you should. And I think that's why, like, you and I don't know each other very well. But I feel like 
we the first clicked. conversations we had, we were immediately, yeah, like, oh, let's talk about real things. Yep. You you are Which is great. You well, you're that kind of person and, and your energy reflects that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not there is not a a a a a bone of BS about you. You know, like it just you're very real with us. And and I like that. I like having you even this conversation, like this is dope, you know, because it I, I want things to transcend bird dogs. Like that's my my vibe. Like that's short. Like that's yeah. and I want to be as much a teacher and, and 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 hopefully a mentor and all of that cool stuff. Like that's great. But like if we're not in this every day, like present with it and all that it comes with every day it then becomes this very superficial look at what I did kind of thing. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like bird dogs is not that for me. Bird dogs is just another extension of my life. My dogs are my life, you know, mm -hmm. the, whether I keep them. Cause I, you know, we had already come to the conclusion. I was like, ah, eh, this dog ain't working out. I was just going to rehome her. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so that decision kind of sat with me like, dang, like, I had every good intention on moving this this very, you know, not so talented dog. Try yeah. to give her a chance. It's like you want to do the right thing. And like I said, this very abstract thing comes in and just interrupts all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think there there is there's a realness to that. There is a I, and, and it could have been anybody. It didn't have have to be me on that particular weekend when y'all came down, but I also don't believe in right. coincidence. I think right. it was supposed to happen. So you got what you needed. That was way more authentic than me sitting here telling you about what a goddamn field trial is like, you know what I'm saying? Well, or, or what, you know, or what my stuff is like, or me just talking about bird dogs the whole time. Yeah, it was real. It was real. And I actually was having a conversation with somebody earlier today and they were saying, oh man, I wanted like this last interaction to be like incredible. And I was like, well, it wasn't incredible. It was something better. It was real. Yeah. And, and that to me is always better yep. than incredible yep. because what you showed us without even doing anything or trying was you're a real person. You have a direct link to the worst things that have happened in our country ever. You are an inadvertent educator, you know, like you don't, you're not out there trying to educate, but you're like, you educated us. And also, um, uh, oh, and having that happen as bad as it was, like, that's what this whole thing is about, is life and death. Yep. That's hunting. And you didn't harm your dog. You didn't do anything to make that happen. You take great care of your animals. You respect them. You give them love, everything they need. That was just, like, a really unfortunate thing. But all of a sudden, Cammy and I are digging a grave. Yeah, like you that's I mean? that's a hell of an like, introduction. Oh, like, 
<laughs> the yeah. first day I done, I done really hung with y'all, and we like digging graves. Like, all right. Well, not yeah. graves, but a grave. All right, guys, just another little quick break um, from the podcast. I want to talk to you guys about Biomatrix supplements. The three main ingredients are camelina oil, bromelain, and boswellia. Um, camelina oil and boswellia are great for joint support, while bromelain is wonderful for muscle recovery. Um, Biomatrix, crazy enough, I was talking to Julie, and she told me something very, very, very interesting that is just incredibly crucial here for the South, and that's that Biomatrix is a wonderful treatment for dogs with Lyme disease, um, which is huge here in the South right now, it's considering the heat, ticks, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, so, there is a ton of information that I have just really been studying and acquired through um, Biomatrix, just about the health and and supplements and, and things like that with my dogs and I want to make it available to you guys as well so if you need more com um, I guess more conversation but if you need more information about uh, Biomatrix reach out to me and I'd love to send you guys this very 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 detailed PDF um, that I have on the ingredients remember guys that Biomatrix Biomatrix their ingredients make the difference the science behind the therapy Biomatrix, all products are developed by veterinarians and made from natural ingredients using science-based, research-proven formulas for peak health and performance. And you can see that in that PDF. I would love to send it to anybody that is uh, curious about it. Reach out to me via email at thegundognotebook at gmail.com or you can just DM me and I can get it to you that way. Guys, make sure you use my promo code GUNDOG10 for 10% off that checkout. Biomatrix, go to biomatrix-supplements.com. And of course, I want to just just give a thank you to Garmin. I, you know, once again, they have blown my mind with a product that is just phenomenal. They just sent me um, the 200i with two more uh, TT15 units. And I will say, I have always been a skeptic of touch screens. That's why I was such a big advocate for the Garmin Pro 550 Plus, and I still am. But that 200i, the screen and all the features are just absolutely wonderful. Even with my wet gloves, my wet, sweaty, dirty gloves, that screen still was um, very, very, very functional, super sensitive, actually. Um, the levels are a little bit different than my Pro 550. Um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm using a little bit higher of a stimulation on my dogs, um, but that's cool. You know, I guess it's just a, a different system or different, um, I don't know what the dial system's called, but it's just set up on a, on a different system. Um, and so the Alpha 200i is just a little, little, little bit, uh, a little notches. You have to use go a little notches, a few notches higher than what I would use in my Pro 550. But all in all, I loved it. And I also want to give a shout out to my buddy, Jared Unger, who has come out and and, and offered to help me out from training and, and things like that, helping get these dogs moving and, and, and keeping an eye on them when they're running and things like that. And he also has a wonderful Brittany named Colt that was just really nice in the field. So Jared, I want to say thank you for that. Jared also helped me figure out how to share stats and info, training info, between both of our dogs on our um, Garmin units. He uses Garmin as well. So again, guys, go 
Get yourself a Garmin 200i or Pro 550 Plus system today, and let's get this training season off to a good start. So I don't know. I guess like for me, it's not like I go after that kind of experience, but I do love just real. Yeah. And how can you even possibly consider hunting without considering the fact that death is <laughs> your agenda? Yeah. It, it is. Death is on the agenda, period. On the agenda, it is yeah. on the agenda. It, it, it might. It ain't even got to just be on your agenda. It is uh-huh. on. It is. It is inherently on the agenda. Yeah. You know, and you know something because hell, we were out. We weren't even hunting. We were shit, training. Out. Nobody had guns. Right. <laughs> like yeah. we're literally going to train. Like, and it's just it, you know it, it. That was a very like when you talk about forging friendships, like, you know, and I, and I say this and I, and I mean it every time I say it, but really though, like Tracy, like we for real, for real friends, like that was, I've never had any, any, anything like that happen with people I didn't know. Right. Yeah. Me either. You know, it, 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 it's really wild, but I guess, you know, there's one overarching thing that I want to get to that it is a little more written centric. But you know, as far as my dog, what was your critique on Vegas and 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 and, and Jug? Like, oh. <laughs> lighten it up a oh. little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I as you know, Jug. Like immediately, I fell yeah, in love with that's Jug. That's your buddy. This big, cute, sweet. Any sweet dog, I'm like instantly in love with. And and. You know, she's a little more, she's kind of like in her own thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's not as like, I want to be your best friend. Mm-hmm. Maybe she is because of her loyalty to you or something. And then Vegas, I mean, they blew my mind, really watching you work with them and then seeing them out, especially when we went to your friend's property yeah. on the third day of that one day. Because yeah. I really think that one day was three days long. Yeah. It, but, <laughs> yeah. And we finally got to your friend's property near Smyrna or something. Um, like watching them work together because you talked about it. You know, this dog is going to be backup or whatever for this dog. And that blows me away more than anything at this point. Like where the, the secondary dog has the control and the training and the focus and self-discipline to let the first dog do its job mm-hmm. and then kind of come in as backup. That's how I understand it. Yeah. But um, no, they were, they all had such unique, cool personalities. And it was interesting for me that they're, they're clearly working dogs. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're clearly like any, especially with Anthony too. He's like, well, you know, you take him out for 20 minutes yep. and that's it because that's it that and and they do a great job and you don't extend it and that they know what they're supposed to do and i i love that part of me is like oh but if i have if a when if and when i get my bird dog it's going to be like cammy's dog and like sleep with me and (laughs) you know ride in the front seat of the truck and all that 
and still be as good as Darrell's dog. But and they can uh, be. No, they can very so. well right. be. Yeah. So why don't you do it that way? Honestly, the 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 less thought about reason that I have for not keeping my dogs in and doing all that other stuff. Number one, I started doing that when I had kids. I just don't mm-hmm. want dog hair around my house. I fundamentally kids pick up stuff. They do. It's it's just as it's that simple for me. Like I don't. Yeah. Because Ruger, you know, you never, you didn't get a chance to see him. It was, it's too hot right now to take him out and all that stuff. He's, you know, and, and he would have caught some of those birds that we were training with. Um, uh-huh. yeah, again, difference. We had that whole conversation, pin raised birds, wild birds, that whole thing. But yeah. Ruger was the last dog that I had that lived inside. And uh-huh. he's, of course, outside now. We loved it. I hated sweeping up dog hair and vacuuming dog hair. I, I I think that was the worst part of it. And now looking at my kids, they are very much so my kids. They pick up stuff. They eat it. They do. Uh, they're my kids. So, yeah, Ashley and I were like, OK, cool. Well, then I got pointers and pointers. I don't want anybody to ever think that pointers can't be indoor dogs like they've. I know plenty of people that live with them, but. I just don't really care about all that indoor manner stuff. Like I, I got comfortable with not having dogs in the house, you know, cause mm-hmm. even my pit bulls used to live in the house and mm-hmm. I got comfortable with that. And then I started liking Ruger particularly cause when, when he moved out, I had just gotten Vegas and, and I keep my puppies inside, you know what I'm saying? For a little bit, just until they can survive outside. But yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I, I had, I, I say keep my puppies. Like I've had a lot of puppies. I, I kept Vegas inside, you know, uh-huh. and, until he was probably three months old. And then I moved him on out three or four months old. Uh-huh. But anyway, Hold what on. I, okay. Sorry. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay. Sorry. There you go. There you go. So I, all of that to say, I messed around and I noticed something in Ruger that I liked when I moved him outside that I didn't like when he was living inside. I don't like okay. my dogs to be that goddamn affectionate. I mm-hmm. just don't. They're working dogs. like and, and there are other people that love it. I loved it when I had them inside. It was great. Now, with a pit bull, I am the biggest teddy bear with a pit bull. Uh-huh. I, I love them dogs. But... You know, with hunting dogs, I just, I don't really want you to care about me. I just want you to listen to me and do what I need you to do. And I would notice Ruger would be like a little too connected to me when I was hunting to him. Yeah. Hunting with him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I, it was cool. It was great. He was a hell of a hunting dog when he was young and he's still a great, a good hunting dog now, but I just, I just, I wanted that disconnect. And I really figured out that I wanted that disconnect when I got pointers. Pointers don't give a shit. Like they're very like one track minded dogs. You know, they're smart. They're wonderfully intelligent dogs. But you know how Vegas is like Vegas doesn't want to be pointed. He, I mean, he, he don't want to be pet. He doesn't want to do anything but point. Like that's all he wants to do is hunt and point birds. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I even Jug, like, and, and he's gotten, actually, since you guys left, Jug has actually gotten a lot better at handling. 
you know, he he actually responds to my singing and stuff like that. But like, even with him, I don't want you to care about me. I just want you to find birds and do what I need you to do for us to work together as a team to get these birds up in the air and, and on the ground if need be. Yeah. I like that relationship with my dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't, I just don't want all the extra that comes with living with a dog and I'm sleeping with you and stuff. Like I've been there, done that and got a t-shirt for it. And that was cool, but it just ain't my vibe. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it, um, my mentors, I mean, I wish I could take you down to Thomasville and see like, I mean, shit, they just don't have inside dogs. Like, I there there are a lot of things that I care about and there's a lot of things that they care about in a dog and obedience pretty much ain't one of them not anymore like I don't care I'm never going to teach a pointer to sit I'm just not I don't I don't need you to sit if you sit as long as you ain't sitting when I need you to be pointing birds I don't really care um yeah you know I it's it's just very bare bones for me like it made my training life easier when all I need to do is focus on getting you to come, to go, to come here, you know, to, to, to go left, to go right, to work off of a whistle and to point hold birds until I tell you to move. Like, yeah, that's enough for me. And mm-hmm. when you see another dog, you need to stop. You know, when you see another dog point, you need to stop. Like, it's just that bare bones for me. Stay in the mm-hmm. front. Like, that's enough work to keep a dog ahead of you running to get them, you know, working off a horseback and to get them broke to where, like, when you shoot a bird, the bird falls and hits the ground, the, the dog doesn't bolt off up, you know, off to do it. Like, there's a lot, there's enough there for me to work with. I don't care if you go sit. I don't care if you shit in your pen. I, you know, my buddies laugh at me all the time. They call my dog shit eaters. Like, they are shit. Like, they, they shit in their kennels. They do all of that stuff. I just don't fundamentally care about that. Mm-hmm. Contemporary culture and society is totally not for that. Uh-huh. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, totally yeah. not. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you've seen their kennels and, and they're half built now. We just moved, but like, it's a barrel. It's a gated kennel. It's some concrete. Like, you know, you feed, you, there, there's just, it's, it's, it's almost militant in a way. Yeah. And that's all I want. That's the only connection that I want out of my dogs when it comes to hunting. Now, when we have a good day, do I throw them some bullshit food and a couple of McDonald's fries every so often? Sure. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm still, a, you know, at the end of the day, a, a, a millennial dog owner, like, you know, I'm, I throw my dog some some bullshit every so often. Yeah. Especially if you had a good day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm just that kind of person. I, I like to go and, and I go to the gas station. My thing with my dogs is sardines. I go buy uh-huh. all the dogs, get their own can of sardines. Oh, that's so cute. I you know what I'm that. saying? And and that's just yeah. what it is. And I feed them um, um, uh, pork skins. Uh-huh. You know, that's probably as much goofing off as I do with them. But I respect them because without them, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is purely on them and their ability. Yeah. 
you know, now I'm not in a space with, with four dogs now, you know, with the, with the four that I have, I'm not in a space, you know, four dogs, two kids, family, full-time job, podcast, God knows everything else. I'm not in a space that I just want to keep around something that's not working. I'm not here for dogs that are cute. Right. You know, yep. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, seriously. You know, I, I, and that's just my mentality about it. Yeah, that's all. And and yeah. there are so many other people that I know whose dogs live in the house. It's a girl that I know now. Dogs live in the house and all kinds of stuff. And that dog is a fucking champion, field trial champion. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's literally just I. It it boils down to right now uh, uh, along the lines of all that stuff that I told you. I still just fundamentally don't want dog hair in my house. Yeah. Again, it goes back to what we were first talking about. Simplicity. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. It, it is. It is way more simple to just keep them outside. Like, you know, um, and it was rough, man. Like you, you didn't see where we left, like the house that we lived in before. I was blessed uh-huh. to have like just this random expanse of, woods and forest behind that house because it was just at the back end yeah. of the neighborhood so there was just woods like for for hundreds of yards um and so I was training my dogs out there I had my and I lived on literally point point one nine acres uh-huh wow yeah you know what I'm saying nothing and, and, nothing. and the majority of that is covered up by house by the house yeah and I I had smaller kennels than I have now. You know what I'm saying? Like they were, um, shit, I don't remember the measurements, but it was significantly smaller than what I had now. The dogs basically, they were like bigger crates, if I think about it. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was enough for them to move around, run around in a couple of circles, but it wasn't enough for them to like get incredibly comfortable. You know, most of the time they just slept. Now, when I look mm-hmm. out at my kennels now, my dogs are walking around and mosing, you know, and doing what they're doing. Well, I just made a way. It was just about making it work. You know what I'm saying? And I knew that that wasn't, we were renting a house, so I knew that that wasn't going to be the end goal. I just needed to make yeah. sure that I kept up with my end of the bargain. And hell, I had a pigeon pen back there and everything. And oddly enough, living in the suburbs, my neighbors were cool with it. That's cool. That's amazing. But it was because my dogs are my dogs. Like they were just, they never, they seldom ever came out. And when they were out, they were being trained or showing that they were trained. Mm-hmm. And so like my dogs were the least of their concerns. If they got to barking too loud, I just yell outside, Hey, shut up. And they just be quiet. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot of work, but now, you know, it's just, I've gotten we we've moved now and and I've I've been able to to simplify everything that it is that I'm trying to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you have a cool operation. <laughs> well, thank Definitely. Yeah. Um So look, this is the last thing that I wanted to kind of run by you. And okay. seldom do I ever get writers on the podcast. Uh-huh. You know, so and 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 creative individuals such as yourself but I want to talk like you are really living the quintessential writer's life. Like you are an outdoor journalist. Like you're not even a writer, you're a journalist. Like just yeah. 
how? <laughs> like, <laughs> how, what is that like? How does it work? Because that is essentially kind of half of the, you know, part of the direction that I'm kind of trying to move my own stuff. But like, you're living that life, man. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I've been doing it for a while and it's definitely not always been comfortable. I mean, a few things helped me a lot in my writing career. One was working at two different magazines as an editor. Which, which That ones? helped because skiing and backpacker. Okay. And, uh, you know, and the magazine world is really small. So the person, Chris, Chris Kyes is the editor in chief at outside magazine right now, which is the biggest outdoor magazine. Mm-hmm. And he he worked at skiing magazine and he was the person who suggested I apply for a job at skiing like forever ago. So, you know, there's, it's, it's very hard to break into outdoor writing. Yeah. I don't know what it's like in the hunting world, but like in the outdoor world, it's, it's challenging. It's hard. If you don't know what you're doing, you don't know anybody, but I just started, I just started, I had like two stories in the Patagonia catalog and that was because I went to a performing arts boarding school and one of my professors there, my writing teacher was this guy, Michael Delp and Jim Harrison used to come to my school and like teach people how to like, they were, he was friends with this group of writing teachers and, and Delp, I read a story that he wrote like a field report in the Patagonia catalog one time. And I was like, Oh, I could do that. So I did that. And then I did another one. And then I just, I, I lived in Alaska. It was kind of, a lot of it was like where I live yeah. and things happened. So for me, I feel a lot of my success has been the story that I'm telling, right? Like I put myself in situations that I could get a good story. Right. Right. Like I went to Iran to skiing one time and wrote a story about that. Like not that many people were, especially women were going to Iran to write a ski story. Right. So that's how, that's how it worked for me. And also I started out with a lot of writers who just wanted to make money writing. That was their goal. That was never my goal. My goal was always, I want to write, stories like John Krakauer writes. Yeah. Like that was my goal. I want to write big, cool stories like Stephen Ronella. Like yeah. I want to be sent around the world and yep. work on cool stories and their narrative. And they're like, they read like fiction, but they're nonfiction. That, that was always my goal. And I was really lucky to get opportunities to do that while I was working at magazines, which were essentially paid master's programs for yeah. me. That's yeah. how I do Interesting. So then, oh yeah, like I feel a hundred percent. That's how I kind of left from kind of being in a pool with a lot of other people trying to figure out how to get in to like getting in. And then within three or five years of starting to work in a magazine, I had a big, fat, huge book deal. Okay. And that came from, writing a story for one of those magazines and it won the national magazine award, which is like winning the Oscar 
in movies. And then I turned that story into a book and got a very, very good advance, like really good. And then I was able to just quit all that and go and write a book. And as soon as I won the National Magazine Award, then magazines were coming to me and offering, you know, like asking me to do stories. So it's kind of like, you gotta, you gotta prove yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I wanted to ask you that because, um, and Reed will get a kick out of this, Reed Bryant at Orvis. Um, I am very inspired by the podcast that I listen to that he does with writers. He had like Tom McGuane on and, you know, oh, nice. you know what I'm saying? Like stuff like that. And, and, and yeah, I, so like for you being on here, like it's like, you're that level for me. You know what I'm saying? Like you are, oh, cool. yeah. Like shit, man. Like I've read your stuff and, and I just, I really love your perspective. We, we can go down that rabbit hole, but I, I really feel like, like I said, you are truly the outdoor writer that may even come off like the Hemingway days, right? Where like, you travel, you write, you get these experiences, you do all of these things. And oddly enough, again, Hemingway even came up in our conversations, the Hemingway preserve. But anyway, yeah. like, I just feel like there are, there are people that write stories and there are people that experience the stories. Mm-hmm. You know, for you, yeah. you're experiencing it, then writing it. It's not, oh, this yeah. is what I did. This is, you know, I went... Went out to the woods, went to Georgia, met this cool dude, shot a few birds, and went home. Like, there's there's this transcendent aspect. And that's something that I really want to carry over. I try to in my own writing. Um, but then also, I try, I, I would like for my podcast to do the same thing because I see it in this, I see them both in the same vein. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you're doing that just <laughs> by, like, this. The thing that I've always thought about is whether I'm writing a story about riding my bike from Denver to the Grand Canyon with a group of high schoolers from a school for adjudicated youth or going skiing in Iran. It's not about, it's not about the biking and it's not about the skiing. It's about, those are just the vehicles, right? Like the literal vehicles, like, Outside is such a great magazine because yeah. it's it's not about sports. Yeah, it's about people and issues and the stuff that's in your heart. And I mean, my magazine article that won the National Magazine was uh, award was about a backpacking trip, but it was really about overcoming childhood abuse. Yeah, yeah. right. Like in a can in you um, can you can you? I meant to ask you this when you hear. I need to pay you for it. Can you send me a signed copy of your book? Oh yeah, you don't have to pay me for it. Yeah. Uh, well, give me your address. All right. Well, no. I think well we gotta we're switching glasses and stuff like that anyway because one of you jerks stole my Oakleys, so you know. <laughs> oh, that was Cammy. You still have my glasses. I still yeah. have them. I haven't been to the post office yet, yeah. but I'm, I got you. They're in my car, so I got yeah, you. yeah, or in my truck. Yeah. Um. No, if if you want me to give like. You want advice? Yes. Is that what you're gonna ask? Me? Well, I, I well, no, 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 no. What I was gonna ask you was something totally left field, but 
Um, okay. I, I, what I was going to ask you is I want a, I want to get a signed first edition copy of your book if possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the next one also, of course, but um, where I was going to go and I, and, and I've since sidetracked myself, you remind me of my, one of my favorite authors. And I'm going to tell you why he's my favorite. You know, I told you I have like this thing about the Kentucky Derby and I own like micro shares and the horses and stuff like that. Um, uh-huh. uh, we had that whole conversation about horses and Cammy having horses growing up. We had that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So there is a gentleman by the name of, there are two gentlemen actually, Ralph Stedman, who is an artist, and Hunter S. Thompson, who is an author. Oh, yeah. My favorite uh-huh. story, one of my favorite stories of all time is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And my, my uh-huh. other favorite story is the one that Hunter S. Thompson wrote on the Kentucky Derby. He said it was decadent and depraved. Uh-huh. I feel like you are your your the way that you approach that is very akin to that style, that that um that gonzo kind of technique of of literally being in it and you're capturing the people's personalities and those people's personalities then carry you through the narrative to finally get back to that bike ride that you went and took, you know, for adjudicated you, you know, you're not thinking like, Oh shoot, you know, Tracy's on a bike ride. You're thinking, Oh shoot. She introduced the bike ride, but who is this person that's riding next to her? And for the next five miles, there's this insightful thing, you know, about this person that you've been riding with. And then maybe you speed up or the person goes off or something happens. And then mm-hmm. now you're on to the next personality. Like I see your work in that kind of way in a very Hunter S Thompson gonzo, like almost radical journalism kind of way. Well, that's definitely what I was going for when I started <laughs> doing it. it was not Hunter S Thompson, but definitely like, um, you know, the new, new journalism yeah. is, it's a thing of the past kind of now, but it's that whole idea of like putting yourself in a story and not making it about you, but you are the per the, the guide for the reader. Yep. And, and in this book that I want to do, like that's kind of the role I want to play is like, this is not a book about me, but I am a new hunter. Yep. And so I'm, I see it in a different fresh way that other people aren't seeing it. And I'm also able to write stories and interview people and, do journalism and so like the reader can follow me through learning about this and it's not dry just facts and stats and da 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 it's like these are the people and this person represents this and this person represents that or whatever or is the spokesperson for this part of it you know but then the overarching story or book or whatever is it's not about the individuals and it's not about the individual stories. It's about the whole, which says something, Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. Like peeling an onion, yeah. peeling an onion, getting to all the layers of like, what is my thesis or what is my question? Like, why do we hunt if it's not necessary or something? And then every single person and every single, single story applies to that in some way. I like that, man. That's it takes practice. It takes practice. It does. Um, 
It does. And I, you know, I actually would love if you um, take a look at this piece that I just finished for Outdoor Life. Um, I would love your yeah. opinion on it. I got to send you the, uh, the the draft of it. Um, but I would love to get your opinion on it. I'm not yeah, going to put it out on this sure. podcast because there's a lot that goes to it. But I'll send it to you. Okay. Um, Sounds good. So, look, let me ask you this. Let's close it out. Like, tell us about your book. What can you tell us? What can't you tell us? I guess that'd be what, whatever. What can you tell us about your book? When is it coming out? Um, how do I direct listeners to get it? And your old book. Okay, well, uh, this new book is not, it's in the very, very, very beginning stages. Like, this beginning stages of I'm gathering information. Yep. And I have hours and hours and hours of interviews with like Shane Mahoney, the great conservationist, um, Jesse Dubell, Jesse Johnson, Tammy, her family, like on and on and on. And you, (laughs) (laughs) and you know, I'm, I'm at this point now where I'm over the next few days, I'm going to be transcribing all of that. And so what I'm doing is figuring out, what exactly this is about like what point am i trying to explore what thing am i trying to explore in my mind hunting is this changing culture that everyone who's not in it thinks they know about and they have all these preconceived ideas about and it's it's like that and it's not like that and i just want readers to to get to step into this culture slash cult And like meet it and love it and, um, you know, or not love it. So you, I can't direct you to a book now because the book doesn't exist, Okay, but I will let you know when it does. And then my other book is called the source of all things. It's dark. I mean, it's a journey. There's like abuse in it and forgiveness and you can get that book anywhere. You can, you know, Amazon or wherever you buy your online, where you buy your books because it, came out in 2011 so it's not in bookstores anymore and then you can just find my my stories i'm not on social media all that much but just google tracy ross backpacker tracy ross outside tracy ross hollywood reporter and just whatever and you'll find you'll start finding some of my stories and we can put you know links to a few of them on the podcast we can do that um i will if you you send me whatever links you want me to put in and i'll go ahead and put those in the show notes for you Awesome. I got you. I got you, bud. Um, well, <laughs> I don't know what it is that you could possibly learn from me about a damn bird dog, but shit, you're welcome to ask any question. You know, we've already had that, but I really hope that you, in terms of the, the, the bird dog learning, like, I, I really hope that you, you got something from that. And it sounds like you did, but, you know, I'm excited for when you, when, when that time comes for you and, and, and to come down and, even without a dog, I still want to get back down here, and I want to get out to Colorado to, to hunt some of y'all's birds. So we got a long life ahead of us as far as hunting. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I need to get a dog. I need to get a book deal. Then I get a, do- a puppy. <laughs> then I start working too. But I also want to come to the trials. Yep. I want to see both sides of the trials, and then our ultimate goal. I think we should try to hunt on the Hemingway Preserve. That's the deal. In Idaho. That's the deal. At some point. Okay. Sooner than later, my friend. 
Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you, Tracy. And I will catch up with you later on. I'll let you know when it's out. Okay, that's a blast. All I right. loved it. It was a super fun. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, guys, that's the end of another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast. We are back rocking and rolling and should be back on my normally weekly schedule. And I appreciate you guys for hanging in there, listening to this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Tracy's dope, man. Like she is really, really dope. Um, I had a wonderful time with her and Cammie out here. Next week, we'll have Cammie on um, to talk about her experience, you know, hanging out because, um, you know, obviously everybody's a little different. So I, I know for a fact they got some, they came and, you know, came for different reasons. They got something, of course, different from the experience. Um, and I'm glad I was able to host them down here. I was, I was, I was glad to, you know, have them meet Ashley, have them meet my kids, so on and so forth. But anyway, before we leave, guys, I want to just make sure you guys remember to check out Onyx Hunt. Check out those features in the app. Use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off that Onyx subscription. Guys, check out Yukonuba Sporting Dog. Make sure that you are mindful of the heat in these dogs. Um, check out those links and everything that I put in earlier commercials. Um, also, AYA Fine Guns. I want to thank them, of course, for my wonderful quail gun, Net 410. Um, AYA is just the finest of the finest of the finest. And as an artist, I understand how important it is to really invest yourself in craftsmanship. Um, Biomatrix supplements, guys. Make sure you use my promo code GUNDOG10. Get yourself some Biomatrix and pair that up with the Yukonuba Sporting Dog, and you will be in for a good time. And your dogs will thank you for it. Dakota 283 Kennels, use my promo code TGDN10. Go check them out. Make sure you get yourself a G3 Medium. That is my preferred, that is my recommendation for anybody that has a dog 60 pounds or under. Um, also to Garmin, of course, I want to thank Garmin for my new T, TT15s and uh, my 200i system. So with that being said, guys, make sure you go check out Cable Gangs as well. And I think we are off to a good start with getting getting this thing back rocking and rolling for the summer, guys. So check out um, all of these wonderful sponsors and affiliates. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next week.